You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. So hello, everyone, and welcome to a new Toronto Centre podcast. First, let me introduce myself. My name is Jean Lorrain, and I'm the Securities Advisory Board Chair at the Toronto Centre. I'm happy to have with me today Umar Diallo, who is the Director of the Fintech and Innovation Department at the Quebec Autorité des Marchés Financiers, or Financial Services Authority, unofficial translation, should I say. Umar is a key participant in the work of the Global Financial Innovation Network, better known as GFIN, and as such, will provide us with his analysis of the various initiatives by regulators and supervisors relating to fintech about the GFIN work and direction and impacts on financial inclusion. Umar holds a bachelor's degree in economics and politics from the University of Montreal, a postgraduate certificate in international studies with a specialization in international economics from the Diplomatic Academy of Vienna, and an MPA or Master in Public Administration from the École Nationale d'Administration de France, or better known also as ENA. He also graduated from the Collège des Administrateurs de Société with a university uh, certification in corporate governance and holds a dual corporate chartered director designation. He held senior positions at organizations including PricewaterhouseCoopers, Laurentian Bank of Canada, the United Nations Industrial Development Organization, and The Economist. Dear Umar, welcome and thank you for accepting the invitation to participate in this podcast. Jean, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure having you. So by way of introduction, technology has been historically a key component uh, for the development of financial markets. As such, no one can argue against the benefits it has provided for businesses and consumers. Since the 2008 financial crisis, innovation has accelerated and has disrupted our financial structures and habits. In a large part, it has aimed at pushing aside or trying to do so to avoid the costly or considered to be costly old financial structures and facilitate access to financial services and goods. This has created new opportunities for digital financial services to accelerate and enhance financial inclusion, but also with important risks that are arising, for example, in a crypto asset space including decentralized finance and other emerging trends. Regulators and supervisors are, in this context, challenged in ensuring the good functioning of the markets, protect investors, and try not to um, be an impediment to innovation. This has pushed them to be creative in their own way with the enactment, in certain cases, of new regulations the establishment of sandboxes and international initiatives such as the creation of GIFIN. 
So as mentioned in my introduction, innovation has impacted our old ways and structures. Regulators and supervisors have been pushed into a new environment where laws and old structures were put into pressure. One solution that was developed by regulators was the creation of sandboxes. In many countries, that has been a trend. What are the benefits from these types of structures and are they sufficient to accompany fully innovation in the context of financial services? Thank you for the question, Jean. So maybe a few words on what a regulatory sandbox is. Uh, so a regulatory sandbox provides fintechs with a space for innovation. Uh, indeed, uh, these companies uh, that wish to develop an innovative product, application, or service uh, can register in order to benefit more easily and quickly with an exemption from obligations set out in securities legislation, for example, during the testing phase, and this for a limited uh, period. Uh, regulatory sandboxes are in place or spend over 50 jurisdictions today around the world. Uh, for example, uh, here in Canada, we have the Canadian Security Administrator's Regulatory Sandbox uh, that aims to better understand the implications of these uh, technological innovations on the financial markets, but also to make the regulator part of a regulatory organization process that has been jointly developed with financial technology companies. While the protection of investors and consumers remains the priority of regulators, uh, registered firms remain subject to the applicable regulatory obligations during their participation in the sandbox unless uh, exemptions are granted. Can we say that all sandboxes are created equal? Meaning by that, that do they have the same or exact same mission all around the world? The parameter might change. Uh, so depending on the jurisdiction uh, where the uh, sandbox is located, uh, also, um, the set of uh, regulation that is uh, in scope, for example, uh, an exemption is eventually sought. Uh, so it will really depend, you know, so on uh, in different jurisdictions, you will have, of course, uh, different sandboxes and different models. And what are the precise benefits of creating a sandbox for the regulator in the first stage and then for the participant in the market? So uh, for the participants in the market, uh, it uh, gives them the opportunity, uh, as I mentioned a bit earlier, to test uh, their application service product uh, to be sure that, uh, first of all, it works. And also uh, from a business development perspective, uh, making sure that uh, you build uh, some compliance mechanism uh, from design uh, while testing your product, which is always good. From a regulatory perspective, uh, it gives us also key information on uh, emerging trends, also potential risks, and uh, it gives us also good insight on how we can eventually evolve uh, our uh, regulatory settings if necessary. So in the context of financial innovation, sandboxes have existed for some years now. The first one uh, were created in the 2016 or 2017 uh, uh, years. Um, what do you see as next step for development to sandboxes? What are similar initiatives that can, you know, support innovation in a responsible way? That's a very interesting question uh, because, uh, of course, there have been many developments, including after the pandemic, 
And uh, right now, we see the development of concrete initiatives from regulators in the search of tools uh, and solutions uh, in different fields. Uh, it can go from green finance and other. And uh, some regulators uh, go beyond sandboxes and organize, for example, hackathons or, uh, for example, our colleagues from uh, the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Uh, they recently organized a global fintech hack accelerator uh, with a team of accelerating a greener digital future. So uh, you see that uh, there is a, the sandbox model is evolving in a certain sense, but there are other initiatives that complete you know, the sandbox offering in different jurisdictions. The IOSCO board agreed to the establishment of a board level, level fintech task force uh, recently. A task force mandated with or to developing, overseeing, and delivering and implementing IOSCO's regulatory agenda for, uh, with respect to fintech and crypto assets. How does this interact with the previous work and structures put in place by the regulators? And I'm thinking about all these initiatives that you mentioned earlier, um, sandboxes, hackathon, and, and whatever other initiatives that can, be, that can be raised by regulators and supervisors. So uh, it's a continuation of the work that was uh, previously done. A few words on the, this new uh, Yosco uh, FinTech Task Force. Uh, so it was established in March of 2022, so this year. Uh, it has uh, created two working groups, the Crypto and Digital Assets Group, CDA, and the Decentralized Finance Group as part of its 2022-2023 work plan. Uh, so as you know, we are currently in a turbulent market uh, around the crypto assets, and these working groups are charged with assessing and addressing uh, recent concerns about uh, market integrity uh, and investor protection. Uh, this will include analyzing the emerging risks Associated, associated with the crypto asset market uh, and the different regulatory approaches uh, across jurisdictions. Uh, I can also add that uh, the work will uh, culminate in the publication of a report in 2023 uh, with the aim of developing a common understanding among uh, YOSCO members of uh, emerging trends in crypto assets and DeFi ecosystem. Uh, highlighting how regulation can support innovation, of course, but as well as a policy recommendation for overall improvement of regulatory responses across jurisdictions. So maybe a difficult question to answer at this stage because you're still at the early stages of that mandate, but can we expect standards to be developed regarding this, um, this topic of uh, innovation, but mostly also uh, crypto assets, uh, because this is certainly a, a core issue with uh, all regulators around the world. Absolutely. So first of all, as I said, what's important right now is uh, to deliver this work plan that has been already agreed on. And uh, based on the reports that is due for 2023, then I'm, I'm sure as there will be uh, discussions, um, eventually decisions to see how uh, to go uh, about uh, those uh, subjects. Always keeping in mind that, yes, it's important to support innovation, but really market integrity and investor protection is paramount. Let's change a bit subject, but at the same time remain in, into innovation. 
I, I talked earlier about the GFIN. Can you explain a bit more what is the core mission of GFIN? Yes, thank you for the question on the Global Financial Innovation Network of GFIN. Uh, so it's an international network of uh, financial regulators uh, and related organizations uh, that aim uh, to support financial innovation while ensuring the interest and uh, the protection of consumers. Uh, uh, today, uh, GFIN brings together uh, over 70 organizations uh, committed to creating a borderless uh, space for seamless interaction between regulators and innovative companies that, that, aspire, that aspire to expand internationally, for example. Uh, so in the last couple of years, there uh, were uh, some initiatives around cross-border testing. Uh, so that's one of the key initiatives uh, uh, GFIN has. Uh, and it's also a very good uh, platform you know, for uh, information exchange between participating uh, regulators and organizations. Can you provide us with more details about how jurisdictions really benefit from this exercise and how or are, are there any benefits for other members to join into GIFIN in the future? Absolutely. Uh, so uh, there are benefits uh, from uh, being a member of GIFIN. Of course, I mentioned to you uh, the fact that uh, GIFIN aims to facilitate information sharing and peer-to-peer uh, -peer learning. We see it, for example, in the reg tech and subtech space. Uh, we had this year a very, very insightful and rich uh, reg tech symposium uh, that was held. And this RegTech Subtech Symposium uh, gave us a lot of information and tools on how to go about uh, RegTech and Subtech. Um, and it goes, gives us also the opportunity to communicate with uh, other industry stakeholders, uh, other financial services regulators, and know also uh, what are the key uh, emerging trends uh, that are of interest. So maybe, uh, and I don't think it's a controversial question, but in relation to uh, sandboxes that we were, were referring to, I know that sandboxes, jurisdictions where sandboxes exist, there's a lot of memorandum of understandings in between jurisdictions to exchange information. How does that compare to what GIFIN can accomplish? It's also a complementary offer in the sense that some um, regulators have uh, uh, MOUs, uh, so agreements, and uh, most of the time, uh, those agreements or MOUs are bilateral. Uh, so it means, for example, here in Canada, so uh, um, AMF Quebec or the CSA uh, will have, for example, an agreement with France, uh, the UK or others. So it's more on a bilateral basis. Whereas uh, across GFIN, as I mentioned, uh, those can be other mechanisms. So mechanism like the cross-border testing initiative, uh, so this is one kind of uh, mechanism that also exists. So it's a complementary uh, offer. So what I understand is that becoming a member of GFIN allows you to benefit from the work being done within GFIN to all its members. It's, it's all the members that will benefit from the exercise. Exactly. Okay. And as I asked earlier, what are the conditions to become a member for a jurisdiction that is not a member of GFIN? How do you become a member of GFIN? And what are the obligations, should I ask? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, to become a member, it's, uh, you, you need to, to apply through the uh, GFIN Secretariat that is hosted by our colleagues from the UK 
uh, FCA, the UK Financial Conduct Authority, uh, and then uh, the membership is reviewed and then uh, accepted uh, through uh, the coordination group of GFIN, so coordination group that has a dozen of regulators, and then it's accepted. You know, uh, when we review uh, the membership file of uh, the applicants. Uh, so uh, it will depend the, the, the membership can come from a country which has, for example, a central bank or a regulator. Uh, so it's really on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, you should also know that's our observers uh, in Japan. So, uh, so that's more or less the process how it works. Um, and of course, uh, it's always good uh, to, to have members that uh, join uh, the, the, the GFIN family and also and decide to contribute some different initiatives. Thank you. Um, so what I understand is that GFIN seems to be a very open organization. The criteria to become a member are, are quite uh, flexible. Uh, is that is that accurate to say? So I would say that there are uh, terms of reference uh, for membership and governance of the uh, Global Financial Innovation Network that you can find on GFIN website, uh, that is gfin.org. Uh, so mainly uh, in order uh, to have a member status and admission, there is a process. So uh, membership uh, is uh, for uh, national or state financial sector regulators or supervisors that can become members. Uh, so prospective members uh, shall submit at uh, any time a completed GFIN application form to to the share of the coordination group explaining their interest in GFIN, so including their commitment, eligibility, uh, and of course requesting their membership status. And prospective members uh, should and uh, uh, should demonstrate a commitment to supporting innovation in the interest of consumers uh, in financial services. And how it works is that on a quality basis, the coordination group reviews. Uh, prospective member applications and uh, coordination group members will consider prospective members good standing with commonly accepted uh, international regulatory standards. So, in a nutshell, this is the, the process. So, it seems a very, very easy process to go through. And uh, if I understand also correctly what you said earlier, the benefits of becoming a member of GFIN are uh, somewhat uh, enormous or big because you benefit from the experience of uh, other jurisdictions that can have this similar similar issues that they face or other jurisdictions that are more advanced. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a great benefit and it's a benefit because uh, the, the, uh, the, the membership structure with over 70 members today span from every continent in the world. Uh, so it gives you a good perspective on, uh, on important trends. So if I go back to an earlier topic that we've discussed, we have a new task force within IOSCO, we have the GIFIN. How, how do they interact with one another? Do they interact in, uh, in one way uh, to one another? Uh, you know, some, some GIFIN members are also IOSCO members and OSCO members are GIFIN members. So, uh, but, but, so of course, uh, there are cross memberships in a certain sense. And, uh, and uh, the way uh, GFIN uh, develops uh, its working plan, uh, its annual working plan, is also to look at uh, topics that are also discussed in other uh, forums, other uh, standard setting bodies. So, so definitely there are some uh, 
um, uh, some exchanges uh, between uh, uh, between members of, uh, of both of both entities. So apart from members uh, being part of the two organizations, IOSCO and GFIN, there is no direct interaction. There's just influences because of the similar topics that you talk about. Possibly, uh, I can uh, maybe the, our colleagues from the GFIN secretariat uh, are more aware of this information, but I guess that's our so probably contacts between the Secretariat of GFIN and uh, the EOSCO Secretariat, but I don't know the specifics. And what are the main topics nowadays? Because I know that GFIN has been structured some years ago. What are the main topics that you look at at this time? Uh, right now, of course, uh, I mentioned to you uh, Rectic Subtech. Uh, it's still uh, very important for us. Uh, we are also um, looking on the responsible use of artificial intelligence in finance. So there is a working group that is uh, looking at uh, uh, the, those developments around the world, what has been done. We also here at IMF Quebec uh, issued last year a very important report on the responsible use of AI in finance. Uh, and of course, uh, we are also looking um, more broadly uh, what is going on you know in the crypto space uh, so those are uh, some major topics that are looked at right now in Japan. one final topic that i'd like to discuss with you uh, today uh, umar is about financial inclusion um, this is a very important theme in the context of innovation uh, do you know about any work being done on this subject that is really central and must be taken into account when you talk about financial inclusion? Yes. So on financial inclusion, I would like to highlight the very important work that is being done by CJAP, uh, the, consult uh, CJAP uh, the Consultative Group for Assisting Poor, uh, that is linked to the World Bank. Uh, its mission is to improve the lives of poor people, especially women, by believing in the potential of financial inclusion. Uh, its approach is uh, action-oriented to test learn and share knowledge for the cause with the goal of building inclusive uh, and accountable financial systems. Uh, it works with several partners to encourage them to bring to market solutions that have been proven through uh, CJAP's uh, field initiatives. Uh, according to latest uh, estimates, uh, nearly one in three adults worldwide uh, are unable to access uh, financial services that would significantly improve their living conditions, so education, food security. And uh, CJAP uh, publishes uh, various perspectives on the potential evolution of the sector to achieve uh, greater financial inclusion, of which uh, technological innovation could be one of the keys. Uh, we can cite the example of the modernization of uh, retail banks uh, that uh, that are encouraged to align with uh, with the continuous pace to innovation and improvement of consumer experience in the digital economy. There are also important initiatives on cash in and cash out uh, agent networks, enabling vulnerable people to adopt uh, digital financial services. Um, there is also um, uh, initiatives around uh, micro insurance, etc. So uh, a lot of information that, of course, you can find online. So, Dio Uma, really a big thank you for um, uh, having participated in this podcast. I, I think that uh, your answers on many 
topics that we've touched base on uh, will benefit the those that will listen to this podcast. And I know that there will be a, quite a lot of those people. So again, thank you on behalf of the Toronto Centre. Thank you, Jean. It was a pleasure. <laughs>